Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 265th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that's often imitated, never duplicated, but sometimes traced over. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co host this week is Travis Allen at Wizard Bumpin' on Twitter, and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, James. Good evening, everyone. Glad to be here and looking forward to sharing all sorts of valuable information with all of you. Uh, Our show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to track your specs, chat on Discord, and read articles by some of the best minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Travis, what is on the agenda this week, this busy, busy week in Magic? Well, this week we have... uh... Four segments. Topic one, segment one, our top MTGO metagame week in review. We've got results back, which uh, we got so it gives us a modern and pioneer list to look at. And pioneer being rather one note. Segment two, our top paper movers. Plenty of stuff to talk about this week, and a fair bit of non-foil movers and less specifically driven than we've seen in a couple past weeks. Along with uh, some MTGO movers. Segment three, our paper cards to watch. James and I will run through some of the stuff that we think has a good outlook. And finally, segment four, our topic of the week. We've got Strixhaven spoilers. We've got uh, Mystical Archives, Japanese art. We've got (laughs) stolen artwork. So we're going to make it the Strixhaven spoilers, uh, but no guarantee that the rest of it doesn't get peppered in here as we go. Let's dive in at the top here, our metagame week in review. Over on the Pioneer side, uh, triple blue-black control on the top three. Um, so a big big week for that build. Yeah, two Torrential Gear Hulk, a uh, card that has seen movement this week, two Shadows Verdict, two Behold the Multiverse, four Censored, four Dig Through Time, and Eliminate, four Fatal Push, two Heartless Act, two Heroes Downfall, one Negate, four Opt, three Sinister Sabotage, Four Shark Typhoon and 25 Land of the Blue Black Variety. Uh, Nothing too surprising here. Um, There's just a ruthless amount of control available in this format for Blue and Black. And this seems to answer pretty much everything you need it to. You got counter spells, card draw, kill spells, and some sharks to finish things off. Yep, and I'm looking through, and I don't see a lot of... I mean, there's variance between the three builds, but frankly, nothing interesting. Um, I think the takeaway for me looking across these is the four Shark Typhoons main deck in all three of them. Um, So if we move to paper and Pioneer sticks around, I am interested in the uh, full art foils, full arts of Shark Typhoon, but they're already sitting it. It looks like 20 and 40 or so. So not the cheapest way in the door. Yeah, they were good when we called them early last summer, that's for sure. Yeah. 
and I don't think we we certainly I don't think expected them to be for them to be as good as they have turned out to be. It seemed like kind of a meme card when it was first revealed, being a shark tino, tornado, shark tornado uh, meme and all. But uh, card super powerful. Yeah, no doubt about that. So fourth place in this particular top eight was a black red Croxa aggro deck with uh, four Dreadhorde, Arcanist, four Croxa, four Stitcher Supplier, and four Young Pyromancer. Uh, Eleven sorceries in including Bloodchief's Thirst, four Claim to Fame, one Dreadbore, one Spark Harvest, and four Thoughtseize, then four Fatal Push, two Culligan's Command, and four Village Rites. Uh, just pretty low-curve, super-efficient beat stick of a deck that can go wide off the Pyromancer if it needs to. I'm. We're looking at this list on the official Magic website, <clears throat> which uses the most recent printing of any card when you mouse over, uh, so now the thought seizes are showing up in old border, along and, with a couple, of, along with a couple other cards, and Dreadhorde Arcanist and Young Pyromancer. Right, but what I find amusing about this is someone who's a little less familiar using this website and mousing over thought seizes and seeing an old border and being like, "Wait, wasn't that the new border?" and getting really confused and not being able to figure out why cards they thought they knew were now are now an old border. Like yeah, just, well, the website, the basic white magic website, just gaslighting people become, <laughs> becomes a talking point for when they get to go back to their LGS, get educated as to why they should buy a bunch of cards. Yeah. Uh, black, white auras, constant presence in pioneer for most of the last year in fifth place here. Red, white wizards has been similarly persistent um, on the back of having access to wizards lighting, which is a de facto lightning bolt in this deck. And then you got four color combo control, a deck that we flagged a couple weeks ago. Um, looks like it's putting up, you know, pretty consistent results itself. This is uh, a Nahiri the Harbinger, uh, four Narset Parter of Veils, two Agent of Treachery, three Deafening Clarion, three Supreme Verdict, four Transmogrify. So you've got that get a token into play, transmogrify it into an Agent of Treachery thing going on. And then four Essica's Chariot. I don't think that was a card. Uh, that anybody saw being played beyond standard uh, other than, say, EDH token builds. But here it is. It's earned its slot and it's holding it. Alongside four Chain of the Rocks, four Fires of Invention, four Omen of the Sea, four Shark Typhoon, four Birth of Miletus, and four the Raven's Warning uh, token creators that set up the Transmogrifies. And it's an 80-card deck because, of course, it is also a Yorion deck with two Yorion in the sideboard. If... Um... Without knowing how the deck operates, I am guessing that Essica's Chariot here is strictly as a, another token creator um, that can continue to spit out tokens after you put it into play. So for four mana, you get two bodies, uh, and then if you manage to go on the offensive, it can keep copying them to keep a supply up. Uh, so I would assume that is why Essica's is in here, not because it's good on value otherwise. Well, I think it's good on value, but it... it... It's exactly what you said. It's good on value. It cre it leans right. into the to token plan with Transmogrify. Would it be in in another deck without this game plan? I mean, not so far. That, so your point stands. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. I think you're only ever going to see Asuka's Chariot alongside Transmogrify. And probably only in Yorion builds. Like, no one's playing Asuka's Chariot in a deck that wants to use that card fairly. It does make cats. And it is possible that there's some interesting cat commander at some point. 
Sure. Well, yeah, but I mean that's not pioneer, right? That's uh... no. You could have you can I mean, you could have cats. I mean, if they go to a, go back to Mirrodin and they have the cat tribe all over again. Wow. I suppose that is possible, but that feels <laughs> returning. Returning to Mirrodin seems very likely because Karn has to go deal with the mess he left behind. I think that that's not incorrect. I think we will go back eventually, and they're the not kind of the Leonin. I think will Leonin, uh, yeah. certainly be a presence, but like that still seems like okay. Now we have to print enough competitive grade cats into Pioneer that they <laughs> want to play Asuka's Chariot to make cat tokens. Like, okay. all right, sure, man, anything's possible. <laughs> All right, so moving on over to the modern challenge, we've got in first place green-white creature combo. This is the variety of ways to go infinite with green and white creatures for Collected Company and for Utopia Sprawl. Uh, in second place, we've got Living End, and it was also in fifth place in this top eight. And one of the cards I flagged here was Brazen Borrower as a f- persistent four of in both of the lists. And wasn't immediately obvious to me why this would be in Living End, and then somebody in the Discord pointed out that it's because uh, the Cascade cards don't hit it, because mm-hmm. it it's a counts as a, a three mana creature, not a, a spell, um, and it also has you know some utility in the sense that it can be a three one flash flying beater, and it can also bounce permanence as is, as might be necessary in a variety of matchups. Uh, pretty interesting overall to see Living End coming back to the forefront here. It's been quiet after a good period of time. Uh, it's been quiet for a good period of time after having been a significant position for a while. So I, I agree, it's it's kind of cool to see it return. Third place, Blue-Red Prowess, which has been putting up constant results in Modern as well. Just ultra-efficient aggro deck of the format at the moment. Um, probably competing in some ways with Jun Shadow, but I think the Jun Shadow builds by casting cost and play pattern are a little bit more mid-rangey. This thing is really just drop a threat and then pump it and pump it and pump it and hope they're dead. Yeah. Yeah. We're gonna get a new version of that too with uh that new white one drop in Strixhaven. The one That's... that Chain of Smog allows you to kill people on turn two with? Uh well no, because Chain of Smog's not legal in modern. Um, in Legacy, I suppose you can do it. Yeah, no, this is uh, in Modern. It's a one mana one one, but the Magecraft is a creature gets plus two plus two, or it's a zero one, but it, Magecraft gets plus two plus two. So you play that on turn one, then on turn two you mutagenic growth, mutagenic growth, team or battle rage, and that's twenty. It's got like a kill kiln theme thing going on. Yeah, so you can technically you can turn two people with it in uh, in modern, and I don't know if you can do it in pioneer or not. Well, no, because uh, mutagenic growth is not in pioneer. Yeah, but interesting. We are still we start starting to see movement on this on some of the cards in this blue red deck. There aren't a lot of great options. I mean, it runs lightning bolt, and there are plenty of cool premium lightning bolts you could aim to require. But this deck is very cheap overall, other than its mana base. And one of the few things that seems to be taking off as a result is the Sprite Dragon Foils. Pack Foils Sprite Dragons were plentiful in Ikoria Collector Booster boxes, and they are drained right out on TCG Player. There are basically very few copies under $20 lying around anywhere in North America. And if you can even get $10 or $15 out of one of those, yeah, you're probably going to be... And, and opened a couple of the Godzilla version of it, in your collector booster boxes or Japanese uh, 
regular booster boxes. Going to mine, you know, twenty or thirty dollars worth of EV just out of those. Yeah, that's pretty nice. Nice little mm-hmm. return. Well, a nice little boost for the set as a whole because it's not not hard to find those uncommon foils in the uh, collector booster boxes. They're basically throwaways. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so in fourth place we got blue white spirits, pretty standard list there. The other living end build in fifth, Jun Shadow in sixth and eighth. Probably the most notable thing there is the support for the movement on Hex Drinker that we saw this week. I've sold multiple copies of the card, both in English and Russian, uh, in the fifteen to twenty-five dollar range. Jun uh, Death Shadow seems to be running four Hex Drinker, so the creature package now amounts to four Death Shadow, four Scourge of the Skyclaves. Two Grim Lava Mancer, that's a blast from the past. Four Hex Drinker and four Tarmogoyf. Two Inquisition of Kozilek, four Thoughtseize, two Dismember, four Fatal Push, four Lightning Bolt, two Teamer Battle Rage, and four Mishra's Bobble. The pivot to Hex Drinker is fascinating. I wouldn't have expected that. Uh, especially because Death Shadow decks historically have run very trim on the land count. And it doesn't gain... And it, like it doesn't interact with your life total, but what do I know? It seems to be working for him. I think the perfect protection from instance is the attractive part. That would make sense, but in a, a lot, of the fact that you kind of get to just toss a spare mana at it or two each turn when you can doesn't hurt because you it's end up at- paying four mana for a four-four pro instant. Jund Shadow is the kind of deck where if you flood out. A mana sink could come in real handy. So, yeah. yeah, that part's nice. If you're if you're not flooding out, then you don't need it to be leveled up. And when you are flooding out, it gives you an out. All of that said, consensus in the Pro Trader Discord has been sell these while the selling is good because who knows if it lasts in the meta? Who knows how long until the meta and paper actually matters for modern? If that's going to be another six to nine months before people can get back into stores in earnest and start playing at their LGSs, then, you know, who knows what Modern Horizons 2 will do to Modern as a format. Will Maybe Death Shadow won't even be a thing. Maybe there'll be an even better creature that will steal the slot. Definitely a Hex Drinker seller, especially since, again, in the same sense that uh, the Foil Sprite Dragons really help with the Ikoria uh, EV mining Hex Drinkers really help with the uh, Modern Horizons booster boxes you might have opened because you probably have one or two of those lying around and you can recoup 30 or 40 bucks that way. Yeah, yeah. But I, I agree. Anything in Modern that's a little fascinating is uh, definitely has a target on its head with Modern Horizons 2 coming through because Modern Horizons 1 certainly turned the format on its head. So I would expect 2 to be um, probably not quite as impactful, but still significantly so. Oh, there's already rumors flying around about what's in Modern Horizons 2. Uh, there was leaks that were posted on the Limited Resources Discord uh, last week uh, that were referencing back a conversation somebody had with somebody in like November of 2020. And uh, it had both predictions for Kaldheim and predictions for Modern Horizons 2, and most of the stuff that they said about Kaldheim and Strixhaven uh seems to be coming true so we have no reason to believe that the little tidbits about modern horizons 2 aren't also going to be true and uh, if they are it looks like the set is going to be plenty powerful that's for sure uh seventh in this top eight list eldrazi tron fairly standard list there 
So we can move on over to the top paper movers of the week. On the strength of the green-white creature combo builds in Modern, we've got Heliod Suncrowned, the secret layer non-foil edition. This was the uh, Valentine's release uh, last month, going from $18 to $24, up 33%. Not a huge gainer, but I think it suggests that this card is probably going to keep trucking so long as green-white creature combo is a thing in Modern. And it also has plenty of combo uh, utility in Commander as well. So uh, a strong god that's going to see a lot of play over the years. It's got a couple of printings already. They'll probably leave it alone for a while. And I would imagine that by the time they get around to reprinting this thing yet again, it's probably going to be a 40 or $50 card. Yeah, I, I agree that it's probably not on the docket anytime soon. 40 or 50 sounds a little high to me. Um, unless green-white combo becomes like a significant and persistent pillar, more so than it is today. Uh, but I agree that you know if it's twenty-five today, then you know thirty-five, maybe forty, if we get a couple years, is in the cards. I mean, keep in mind I'm talking about this specific version of the card, and you could probably uh, somebody else tried to recommend to us from the pro traders for their submissions this week. The show, the showcase version from Theros Beyond Death, uh, which is also slowly draining out. But Helite also shows up in 6,000 decks on EDH Rec, 4% of all white decks since it was printed. So it's pretty good. Pretty, pretty respectable stacks. Double, uh, double Bloodstained Mire action here. Both the Onslaught copy and the Pro, uh, Expedition-ish version from Zenikar Rising. Uh, both jumped about 50 and change up to about $80 or so, but the allied fetches are uh, are undergoing some pressure kind of across the board here. Um, I see we've got Polluted Delta, you know, further down our list of cards here to take a look at. I don't buy that most of the allied fetches pressure is from players realizing that they're not getting, probably not getting reprinted this year. It seems very much to me like speculators and vendors picking up inventory that is can easily be put into short supply because it's been several years now. You know, cons came out in 2015, um, and you could easily get $10 fetches for the, for the next couple of years after that. But enough time has passed now without a reprint that they are starting to move up. And, you know, there was people, a lot of people concerned about the print run for the Zendikar Rising collector boosters, but... When I see expeditions moving inside like this strongly within six months, and it's not just the allied fetches, there's another handful of them that have been moving as well: Cavern of Souls and Prismatic Vista. The uh, Battle Bond uh, dual lands for EDH are are showing reasonable movement, especially in the foil expedition versions. All of that leads me to believe that those uh, Zendikar CBs are going to turn out just fine. Uh, so remind me, the we're getting the Al enemy. Enemy fetches in Modern Horizons 2, right? I'm not sure that it's been fully confirmed by Wizards that we're definitely not getting allied. I wouldn't put it past them. Uh, I'd have to double check to see if Gavin or somebody has, or Marrow has stated uh, unequivocally on Twitter or on Blogatog that it's definitely only the enemy fetches we're getting. But it stands to reason that you're probably only getting the enemy because that's what they said they were going to do. And the funny thing there is that there's just going to be an EV trade, right? Like Misty Rainforest might come down twenty or thirty dollars if it, if they printed it rare in Modern Horizons two, and there's plenty of it lying around. But now you've got Bloodstained Myers, you know, some versions rising up into the eighty to hundred dollar range. You've got regular Polluted Deltas 
uh, up on this list here from Onslaught going from 55 to over 100. So, you know, whatever, you, they're not going to reprint everything all at once. And that two, three, four year delay cycle on most things means that everything gets its chance to appreciate. Yeah. Yes, Rooney. Okay, so I was under the impression it was only uh, en- enemies, enemies, but we'll we'll see. Of course, uh, Frexian Arena copies out of Conspiracy Two, pretty good jump, eighteen to just under thirty. Um, we really have not seen a lot of this in the recent years. I mean, we have this printing Conspiracy Two uh, and the. Uh, mystery booster box printing the retail edition of mystery booster boxes sure so which is realistically a pretty limited number of copies i think right like probably not a lot of that in the market well and the, um, a the list inside that is huge b those boxes are very expensive already because mm-hmm. supply is dried up so given how much play phyrexian arena sees and edh specifically gonna be pretty surprised if it survives another year without a reprint yeah i mean i don't know yeah i don't know it's interesting what will they reprint this or not i mean it's been a while but you know if it's gone five you know basically one in five years what's one printing in six years you know there's only so many cards they can reprint and if you remember uh cafferty was saying you know, the list of cards they need to reprint grows every year and they're making more products to reprint them, but it's a question of which one can keep up, which one's going to go faster. If you told me that Commander Legends 2 was going to be slipped into the end of this year, I would be looking at this being an auto-include. Until they show me a product like that, who knows? I mean, it's, it has the word Phyrexian in it. We know that there's a Phyrexian subplot brewing in the Magic Narrative, so somewhere in the next year... But are they going to put this in the standard? Uh, whew, I don't know. Can you put this in the standard? This is probably too good. Probably too good. It's in 40,000 decks on EDH Rec. That's just the reported decks, which means they're, it's probably in something like a quarter of a million decks worldwide or something. 16% of all black decks supposedly run it. So I mean, it I'm a seller. In- I'm a seller at this level, but if I had 10 copies which I don't, uh, I'd be looking to sell slowly up the ramp as opposed to rushing to unload them because there's no obvious reprint venue on the horizon. I mean, it's in pretty much all of my... Every time you made a black deck, you had the question whether this was, was worth it. I mean, it was. it's a good card. Yeah. It's a good card. All right. Dowsing Dagger Ixalan uh, buy a box promo going from 40 to 68, and that's way, way up from whatever we originally called that, which was probably closer to $10 at some point. All those buy boxes stalled out at some point along the way, ended up taking two to three years instead of six to 12 months to get there. I think Growing Rights is the only one that got there sooner in any kind of meaningful capacity. But at this point, all of them are, are doing pretty well. There never was that many of them, and it was single source supply. So it was just a question of that stuff draining out and enough interest being directed to, you know, things like Primal Amulet that you called last week. And it was, you know, uh, a frequent topic of discussion in the Discord because of its interactions with all the Magecraft stuff. Uh, Magecraft wants you to copy stuff and uh, Primal Amulet lets you copy spells when when you flip it over, right? Uh, yes. Yes, it does. Yeah. 
So yeah, Dowsing Dagger, uh, I think, is a... Flip side is a land that taps for three colorless, <laughs> which is no slouch. And uh, it's a little bit of a hoop to jump through to get to that, but it's uh, still pretty sweet when you do. Mm-hmm. Next on the list, we've got Lava Dart Original Judge uh, Judgment Foils uh, going from about 15 to 25, 78% gains or so. I sold my foil playset of Japanese foil Lava Darts for $150 this week. Jeez. In on those was about 30 bucks. And That's picked them up in May of 2019. A little, a little ridiculous. I'm gonna be honest. A little ridiculous. Yep. Uh, I mean, I had like a thousand dollar on order on eBay this weekend. <laughs> Just six premium cards, including a five hundred dollar plus Liver Queen. Yeah, that's. Uh, I take that. Well, I did take that. I would take that yeah. again. I, I would gladly take that again. Sliver uh, Hive Lord foils M15 120 to 210. I've sold a bunch of those lately as well in the like 120 to 140 range. So not surprised to see it pushing up even further. I continue to point out there is just way too much slivers pressure on an ongoing basis this month for this not to be anchored to some rumor beyond just some of the slivers being reprinted in Time Spiral. It's hard to imagine it being everyone deciding at the same time that now they should finish their sliver deck and it not having to do with anything particular. Yep. Aforementioned Hex Drinker to Modern Horizons uh, 15 to 27 or so. Uh, continue to be a seller of that card, but you know if you've got a big pile of them, you can start working your way up the ramp. And the nice thing about this kind of thing is because the Jun Shadow decks tend to run them as a four of, you get to sell full play sets. That's always nice. $120 orders, much better than onesie, twosie, $10 orders. Yeah, yeah, somebody who does onesie, twosie orders pretty much exclusively. I agree. <laughs> that, I, that I, when you get the play sets, it's great. I sold my first card under $10 of 2021 today oh um because the the listing was so old on my ebay account that it predated my policy of not selling sub ten dollar cards it was a non-foil kenrith the returned king for about eight bucks that wasn't even that long ago yeah uh tashiro umazawa from betrayers of kamigawa 10 to 18 that's a nice card cool art they're very unlikely to reprint it when we go back to Kamigawa, Neon Destiny, or whatever it's supposed to be called, which is expected for next year. Uh, Essence Sliver, yet another sliver on the move. That's a time-shifted one from the first time spiral, not the new one. Uh, 5 to $9 on those. Helm of the Host has gone from 15 to 28 on the back of the announced uh, blue-green Strixhaven uh, Commander deck commander that doubles tokens if i'm not mistaken yeah uh yeah oh shoot i had it and now i forgot it i i one of the simic commanders was really boring um it, yeah it must have been the commander deck because the i think the pack one is T- tenazir quandrix which is the elder dragon and he does yeah. not do that he does not no. double your tokens yeah, I'll track it down as we're going along here. Um, but that's certainly what's moving it. Helm of the Host is a cr- ridiculous combo with that card. I, I'm pretty sure we talked about that. One of us had to have picked that within the last year. Uh, Helm of the Host foils, for sure, were, were a pick at some point along the way. Yeah. 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 Uh, moving right along, we've got Coat of Arms in a ninth edition, going doubling up from about 10 to $20. 
that Polluted Delta original Onslaught copies 55 to over 100. I'm just going to go ahead and say that if you've got non-foil Onslaught Polluted Deltas in random decks lying around, now is a good time to go ahead and try to cash those out for something else. Yeah. How high can that really get? I guess it's a question of like so I, I have some of the old the some of these like the original onslaught printing of a bunch of these and it's I don't know it's one of those questions where sh- sure like are people going to pay $250 for a non-foil onslaught copy of polluted delta no but are they going to pay less than the $100 that this has jumped to at this point hmm you know, it's it's a it's a do I need the sell it question. I just don't I don't value them, like from a nostalgia perspective, enough to be clinging to the original versions. I would actually yeah. I actually prefer the Zendikar Rising Expedition version. I think um, over that one. So certainly something to consider. Hundred dollar for a non foil land is uh, getting off the train at a good stop. I mean, that is pretty silly price. I will not debate that at all. That is a silly price. Chain Lightning out of Legends, 15 to 35 or so, 120% plus gains, old and original. Not like there's any pressing need for Chain Lightnings, but anything old and relatively rare is has been under pressure this year. Yeah. Torrential uh, Gear, Gearhawk Invocations. Uh, wait, Inventions, sorry. Uh, the Foils... Obviously, invention sixty-six to one fifty-five. We talked about torrential gearhawk showing up in Pioneer significantly. Um, those those blue black control decks at the top of the episode. Torrential gearhawk was dragging for a long time, and as uh, the inventions had climbed up, you know, it was floating around thirty to forty for a while. It looks like it had, you know, if we're talking about a jump from sixty-six to one fifty-four, it had clearly gained some steam beforehand. Uh, but at one point was was quite low on the invention list, and the, at this point, by the way, the average on masterpiece inventions is i didn't do the math but it's got to be up there like the average value of any given inventions probably the the average value of the invention slot is, is i bet is over a hundred dollars it's pretty high at this point this torrential gear hulk also combos nicely with the magma opus card they revealed the mythic from strixhaven uh six blue red uh, for this instant but for Blue, red, blue, red, uh, blue or red, blue or red, and discarding magna, magma it's, opus. It's you create hybrid a tre- is it. Hybrid yeah. is it. Yeah, hybrid is it. Uh, discard it, create a treasure token. So you get to drop it into your graveyard from your hand, and then the gear hulk will let you cast it for free. And it deals four damage divided as you choose among any number of targets. Tap two target permanents, create a 4-4 blue and red elemental creature token, and draw two cards. <laughs> That's uh, that's pretty solid value for a torrential gear hulk. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I mean, truth be told, I don't like that card. <laughs> I don't think that's a good card. Um, but uh, I mean, maybe that'll be good in Pioneer or something. Well, you I'm can certainly run a blue red spell focused deck in EDH that can make use of Magma Opus for sure. Because you can uh, st- stock your deck with six or seven different ways to cast it for free out of the yard. 
Yeah, yeah, you can, you can. That's that's the best you're gonna do. I actually don't even think. Okay, hold on. Let me let me look up Magma Opus because there's like they printed like two or three of these cards with like these weirdly high mana costs. Uh, yeah, Magma Opus is. I actually was like struck at how underwhelming this card is, at least particularly in EDH. In EDH, split up four damage, tap two permanence, make a four four, like draw two cards, all very low to mediocre. Um, so the only reason to play this is an EDH is if you think you're going to play it for free. But yeah. I know there are plenty of situations I would rather pay mana for other cards than play this for free. I mean, there's a lot of ways in the blue-red spells decks in EDH to reduce your mana costs. Like, there's all sorts of stuff that makes your instant and sorceries cost one, two, three less with the various things you're likely to have on the board. And it's a lot easier to ramp in EDH just in general. So a magma, magma Opus is probably effectively more like a five casting cost spell. Now, as you said, most of these effects are like mediocre to medium. So, you know, is this going to earn a slot in the deck? Only if your whole thing is going to be mining the graveyard for instant sorcery value. Yeah, it's 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 uh, not my favorite. That's for for sure. Uh, this is a, a little surprising to see up on the list here. Mox Tantalite out of Modern Horizons, the non-foil 6 to 16 uh, for the new Boros Commander. Um, first time we have ever talked about Mox Tantalite in a positive <laughs> trend on this cast. Yeah, it's from the... I'm trying to track down the, the card that activated this. It's the guy that lets you sack an artifact... Uh, sorry... I think exile an artifact of your graveyard and make copies of the thing that you exiled, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, yeah. That was the very first one they spoiled. Like, he was the first uh, Lorehold commander they spoiled, I believe. Um, and I don't have his name off the top of my head, but I know exactly what you're talking about. Like, you can sacrifice an artifact to, like, loot or something like that, and then his tap ability is exile an artifact and then make two tokens. So I guess you have to loot Tantalite into your graveyard and then you uh, you use his ability to make two copies of it. I mean, I guess if you're playing that commander, you might put this in your deck to get away with that. Feels honestly not that good. Like you're going through all that work to set that up, and at the end of the day, you get two moxes. Like, oh, okay. Well, yeah, but, yeah, but it's not... I'm very much all for putting up the warning signs around cute two-card combos that can't be relied upon to be fleshed out in a full commander deck shell but in decks like brea the bouncing artifacts in and out of the graveyard shenanigans are already legion like that's what the decks are built around and there's a bunch of different is it commanders that lean into all that there's uh ones in just in mono blue mono red blue red uh and then brea herself and between all of those various options the red white guy either being your commander or just fitting into one of those other decks and then throwing a tantalite in there not so crazy and there's a bunch of other stuff that's even better to duplicate out of your yard like tantalite would be a might get squeezed out just on being a lower priority. That's precisely <laughs> my problem. Is it's not that it's too hard to do. It's that you can only activate that guy once per turn, unless you have, you know, some of the effects that let you do it twice. But you finally get to turn him on, and then what did you get out of it? You got two Mox Tantalites. Great. 
Meanwhile, you could have just like put in two worm coil engines or two panharmonicons or two Elmeret's archives. And it's like, all right, why am I bothering with Mox Candlelight when I could make two of any of these other cards? Um, that's my problem with it. It just seems like someone who thought this was really cute but didn't actually think about whether you'd play this. Like, why would you do this with Mox Tantalite and not like um, Chromatic Orrery, right? Is that the one from uh, M20 or M21? M Chromatic M21. Orrery, the one that costs seven mana that taps for seven. <laughs> or taps for five that lets you spend mana of any color. Like why would I? Sure. Why wouldn't I want two of that instead? Well, I think I think you have to pay X, where X is the casting cost of the thing or something, to pull this oh, off. Is that, right? Oh, is that? Oh, so, that's I'm just trying to track down the card, but yeah, <laughs> it's something like that. I mean that that makes sense, I guess, in which makes my rant sound a little more clueless. I'm blaming that on the fact that I can't find the stupid card on Mythic Spoiler, so I can't pull it up in the middle of our conversation. Even yeah, still, at, at the I, end I of the day, yeah, at the end of the day, I would rather have a card, you know, pay mana to get a card that's useful than the, the two Tantalites. I, I, I'm going to go ahead and say that it's part of the Commander decks, not Strixhaven Proffer, which is not, why it's not showing up here. Maybe it's below the Mystical Archive cards. You know what? That sounds about right. Would would explain why I have not been able to find several of the uh, cards that I was expecting to find. Let me just track this down. It can't be too far away. Go ahead and move us along to the next card, and I'll double back. Okay. Uh, other than Max Tantalite, we have Sprite Dragon. Um, the foils out of Ikoria, 6 to 18 for a triple up there. Uh, this is based on the blue-red prowess deck in Modern that we were talking about earlier, the one that's real low to the ground with Monastery Swift Spears and Bedlam Reveler and, and that good stuff and Sprite Dragon. Sprite Dragon, if I recall correctly, is that one with that god-awful Godzilla art, I'm pretty sure. Uh, yes, it is. Oh, my god, that card is ugly. Uh, then Magma Sliver, uh, out of Legions, non-foils, 10 to 45, another sliver, a lot of uh, pressure there again, just an old sliver, so the prices are going nuts, sure. I've, I've definitely got a binder of just random slivers, so <laughs> thanks everybody, I'll go ahead and put, put that all up for sale, and make a I, few hundred I, dollars for nothing. I did sell a couple slivers. Not at like 40 or 50 bucks, but I sold a couple slivers and I never thought I would sell for pretty decent prices. Uh, so people are paying for some of this stuff. It's crazy talk. Yeah, and uh, we'll finish off the week here with Planebound Accomplice. This is the uh, the red guy, the red sneak attack for Planeswalkers that was in Modern Horizons. He's three mana, one mana, dash it in. Uh, I... I <clears throat> I don't know. What do you think? I didn't. I, got I, I feel like somebody's directly trolling me because I'm almost certain that was one of my worst picks of last year. I think I said something like, "Pick up these foils cheap; they'll be activated at some point." <laughs> I mean, it's a cool card, and I don't think that, that even if it didn't happen last year, I believe that that might be true. I, I'm pretty sure that I own a hundred copies of this in non-foil. It was like my aggressive mining part two, mm. and a reminder that a lot of red cards that don't just triple damage rarely get there. Mm. Uh, so it looks like Osgir, it's, it's Osgir the Restructor. Reconstructor. And uh, you, you're right, you do have to pay the, mo the mana cost of the card, the amount of value of the artifact you exile. So Chromatic Ori's 
a tough pill to swallow relative to moxtantalite, but I still stand by the fact that you'd rather pay mana to do something useful than... But it's pretty nice to loot your your soul ring and then make two soul rings for one mana. Sure. Can't argue with that. Yeah, that's ugly. Osgir looks is cool, because sack an artifact, make a creature bigger, and he's got vigilance. Um, so you can just hit for six by getting something into the yard that you want in there, and then... And then because he has Vigilance, you might have attacked with him for six. You sacked a Soul Ring to do that. Maybe you played him on turn, you know, two off a Soul Ring. Uh, And then on turn three, you're attacking for six in an EDH game, sacking the Soul Ring to get get in there for the six, and then doubling up on the Soul Rings and setting yourself up to to keep hitting with him. This looks like a fun commander. Uh, yeah, he's, I mean, overall, Lorehold is doing a good job with their, uh, or should I say Strixhaven is doing a good job with Lorehold and giving it a very strong identity separate from what Boros has been over the years. Um, and players have responded very well to that. I'm pretty sure Osgear is going to be a pick on here in Foil Extended Art. You think? Yeah. Because it fits in, as I said, it fits in enough of the... Red, white, Jeskai, and Brea decks in EDH that, and has enough multi-dimensional utility that there'll be reason to both run him as a commander, but also in other decks. And any any commander that can also be in the ninety nine and is mythic and relatively unique is certainly worth a look long term. Yeah, he might be good. I I will tell you that I read him a couple times, and overall, he's not my favorite. Um, I've seen several command legendary creatures out of this set that I think are more interesting, um, at least as commanders than he is. I think his ability costing the mana is a little slower than I want it to be, but we'll see. Um, but it's possible that he'll have enough homes and enough other places that it, that might be enough. Alrighty, well, I mean, we're we're done with top paper movers here, so why don't we uh, take a look at some of the spoilers from. Strixhaven that caught your eye. I guess off the top, we should talk about the big reveal of the rest of the uh, Japanese alt art mystical archive cards. Whoa, hold on. We have top MTGO movers. You're jumping all over the place. What are we doing here? We'll, we'll do it in between. Okay. Is it better between two segments two and three? Well, you know, you're chewing off our content. It could be segment four for next week. We got a budget here. <laughs> Trust me, by next week we'll have new new madness to discuss. This is true. Uh, I know this isn't really your scene, but were you impressed at all by this the art for the Japanese Mystical Archive cards? So I want to stress, I think anime is garbage. Just blanket statement. Anime is garbage. However, a lot of the older, you know, pre-television era Japanese art is awesome. And these Japanese showcases are phenomenal. And, you know, as someone who's, who isn't into anime at all, I still like them a lot. There's one or two that push it, that push the envelope for me. Like that channel is a little little weeby for me, but I think the rest are, are stellar and I want them all. And it's interesting that it, um, it, you know, that they will profit from that because all of the, you know, the, the weeby nerds who love anime will still like these, but people like me who tend to stay away from anime because it's a little more, little too, you know, feels a little juvenile can still appreciate these very cool artworks that, you know, predate that culture. 
so I, I like everything. Uh, push comes to shove, I think I like these more than the the English versions, even though those are excellent too. They have almost an art deco feel to them. The ones that are modern anime flavored, where the faces of the characters are very uh, anime-esque, definitely resonate with me less. The more classical Japanese art style uh, on some of these cards is a 10 out of 10 for me. Like These are must-own cards. In, in magic and I think that even the it's important to recognize that the where you can get these in the current product formulation so in the collector booster boxes which come in a variety of languages but not all languages like for instance there's no Russian no Chinese um, the collector booster boxes are going to have uh, a mystical archive slot twice one of them is going to be a, a uncommon or common, I believe, and the other one's going to be a rare and mythic. And the you will have a shot, even in the English collector booster boxes, uh, a 50-50 shot at them being the Japanese art or the English art. So and we're talking about, I'm sorry, you said, just as a clarify, you said we're talking about collector's boosters here, right? Yeah. Yeah, so English collector's boosters can open Japanese cards, and Japanese are only Japanese. Run that by me again? By the sounds of it, you said English is... The English collector's boosters can open either English or Japanese collector, uh, cards. But the Japanese collector's boosters only open Japanese. No, not quite. The Japanese collector boosters only open Japanese language, but still split the art between the global non-Japanese alt art and the Japanese alt art. Oh, because there is a completely different set of artworks for the Mystical Archives that is uh, present in all languages. So if you're getting, for instance, French Collector Booster Box, you would get global art with French text on your Mystical Archive cards, and you would still have a shot at the Japanese. Now, the the etched foils in the English boxes are the... Uh, so there's a slot that's foil-etched mystical archive, rare or mythic, as I said, and a slot that is foil-etched mystical archive uncommon, and one foil-etched uncommon rare or my- mythic is Japanese alt-art variant in every booster. So of those foil-mystical, uh, of the two foil-etched slots, one of them will be Japanese in your collector booster. So you're going to get... Um, 12 foil etched Japanese alt arts in a collector booster box, no matter what language it is. Okay, so no matter what language collector booster box I buy, 12 of them will be... You're going to get 24 foil etched Mystical Archive. Okay. 12 of them will end up being Japanese. Okay, and the... the, So, do these come in... Normal pack foil and etched foil? They, yeah, there is also a foil mystical archive borderless or extended art rare or mythic slot, which is your foil extended arts, your borderless dragons, uh, the school heads for Strixhaven get borderless treatment alongside the planeswalkers that are in the set, and then you have the foil mystical archive cards that are using the global art, not the Japanese art. 
And then there's a Foil Mystical Archive Uncommon slot as well. And those are the four heavy hitter slots in the Collector Booster Packs this time. This is so obnoxious, man. The, the simplest way to think about it is that there is two sets of art, Japanese and regular. And no matter what language you get your Collector Booster boxes in, you're going to get 12 of that language using the global art and 12 of the Japanese for the foil etch stuff. Now, where it gets more interesting is that if you want the Japanese cards, but you don't want them foil etched or foil, you want them non-foil, then you can only get those in uh, regular and set Japanese booster boxes, which explains why the set booster boxes that were on Amazon last week at about 120 and on CK over the last few days at 130 have sold out super hard and prices have pumped on eBay up over 200 because people did the math and interpreted the formulation and realized if you want a play set, for instance, of non-foil Japanese demonic tutor, the only place you're going to get that is going to be in set booster boxes and regular booster boxes. And the set booster boxes have distribution outside Japan, but the regular booster boxes do not. So you can still import them from Japan, but even in Japan, the set booster boxes are going for about 145 to 150 at the major retailers, and I've heard reports that they can be anywhere from 105 to 130 at smaller shops that aren't cranking the margin quite as hard. Hmm. So I wonder... I wonder if the foils or the non-foils are going to end up pricier. I would. I, it'll probably be split, I would think. The, the non-foil Japanese uh, Mystical Archive cards are probably rarer because they're only printed in Japanese boxes. Yeah. Well, but I mean, if the price point on those boxes is in the, is in the low hundreds, that's pretty approachable. I mean, do we know what the drop rate is on those? Yeah, it's really nice. It's like you, you get a Mystical Archive in every pack. And, okay. and half of them, and in the Japanese boxes, half of them will be Japanese. I okay. mean, half of them will be alt art. So you're going to, let's say you get a Japanese set booster box. It's got 30 packs. 15 of those packs will be Mystical Archive with global art, but Japanese language. And half of them will be uh, will be the Japanese alt art Japanese language, as they all are. Um, what's interesting there is there are some cards that actually look better uh, have better art on the global art as opposed to the Japanese. Natural Order was floated as one of those. So you could get a Japanese global art Natural Order, and you're only going to get that out of a Japanese set booster box or regular booster box. The, this is very this is very clever on Wizard's part because we we have largely ignored you know pro traders do seven figures in group buys a year and we have largely ignored set booster boxes up to this point but there is massive demand for us to do a group buy on set booster boxes we we got floated an offer from one vendor today around 170 a box um and it's a tough pill to swallow because ck has been posting batches of inventory around 129 but I honestly don't know what these boxes will end up being worth. They're not necessarily limited. I, I would imagine the, the Japanese collector booster boxes will end up being relatively limited because they're only being released in Japan, Australia, and, um, and other APAC region countries. But 
the set booster boxes might, since they have distribution in the U.S., might be floating around for months. And it could end up being a War of the Spark type situation where they seem very rare up front because there's a lot of demand and then the demand peters out and then there's additional waves and those waves are really cheap and they end up back on Amazon but like sub $100. Hard to say where that's going to land. I can tell you it's definitely not a time spiral remastered situation where it's automatically one and done. Um, so I wouldn't, I, I'm not comfortable paying the $200 price points that are on, on eBay and I'm certainly not comfortable uh, recommending that everybody run out and get them at 170 either. Suspect we're going to get a better deal on them somewhere along the way. And they're, they seem very attractive because even if you're only getting 15 of those, let's say that the average value of those cards is $3 a piece. That contributes $45 in EV just on the non-foils. Is it just the, just like the non-foil Japanese it, art? Yeah, and then... And, and then the other Mystical Archives, even if they averaged only $2, would be another $30. So that would be $75 in value between them. And if one of them ends up being... Uh, if you also get some other good cards just from... Keep in mind that set booster boxes also have the list. So you could also just hit something good from the list a couple of times in your box. And then just get some good cards from the set, period. You know, Strixhaven's looking like a solid set. Set booster boxes could be real nice in the long run. And the collector booster boxes are are certainly, you know, an etched foil mystical archive demonic tutor with the Japanese alt art. Who knows what that's going to be worth down the road. And some of these other ones are equally crazy, like growth spiral art. Amazing. Um, there's art for D spark. That's just absolutely incredible. The, uh, uh... What's the one? I was just looking at it. Croson's Grip's really nice. Divine Gambit. Sure. Divine That's Gambit, like, cool. I'm, the art's amazing. Less excited about it overall because it's Divine Gambit. And who gives a... Yes. Like, who cares? Yeah. Um, but there, there was also the artwork for Brainstorm is likely to be quite popular. The Inquisition of Kozilek, non-foil Japanese. Whew. They could be, I, end up being worth quite a lot of money. I can't even tell which one's which. Like, I, I'm looking at all the Japanese ones, and they're awesome, but I'm like, I have no idea what these cards are. Yeah, if you, if like, you click, aren't there, like, click, three single mono black cards in this well, if you click, if you click, if you right-click and open a window, it'll tell you what it is. Yeah, yeah, I know. I just meant, There's, like, you. I can't... As I'm scrolling the Mythic spoiler page, I can't pick them out immediately. I mean, yeah, this, there's just... There's a lot of wins here. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know... I I have not acquired uh, new cards with the intent of, like, these look cool. I want to own them in a while. I thought that the Ikoria ones are cool, but I still have not gotten around to buying any. The Time Spiral Remastered stuff I want, but it's too expensive to justify, so I haven't bought any. But these, I'm like, ooh, maybe these will be cheap enough. I can actually grab some, and I'm very tempted. And more to the point, a friend of mine who has not bought any Magic cards in years and sold most of his actually messaged me and said, oh, how, what's the best way to get these? There's uh, also chaos. So my, my point being that I think there could be some pretty real demand on these. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's... And then over in the regu- the global art, there's still tons of hot wins. D-Spark's oh, yeah. really nice. Yeah. Uh, Stone Rain, Chaos Warp, the Claim the Firstborns, really sick. Mana Tithe looks good if you can find a reason to play the card. Uh, there's there's a lot of wins here. And, yeah. I, 
at whatever market lows are available, I certainly intend to be stocking up on some Strixhaven product. Yeah, I am with you. I am eager to own some of this stuff. And, and um, the smartest play, as discussed in the Discord, is is typically going to be you can ignore the sealed completely and just go in on our single group buys. You know, we'll probably have twenty, thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars worth of Strixhaven singles inventory that'll get sold through the Discord um, from our various vendor partners. And I would imagine that will be in multiple waves because there'll be reason to crack that stuff for as long as it's available. Well, yeah, and I, I, I did tell my buddy that when he asked, he's like, what's the best way to get these? And I said, buy singles. I mean, if you want to gamble, buy packs, collector booster packs. But, uh, you know, if you're just if you just want to own the cards, then buy then buy singles, because that's always how that works out. Uh, we'll move right along here to top magic online movers of the week. River Glade Pathway out of Zendikar Rising uh, from two and a half tickets to almost five on the back of uh, heavy play as a four of land in Teamer Ramp and Jeskai Cycling. Very uh, dominant decks and standard. Uh, almost 90% gains there. Torbrand Thane of Red Fell out of Eldrain. Just 0.13 tickets to 0.23. Not uh, huge in absolute terms, but almost 75% gains uh, on the back of a lot of heavy red play and standard. Bark Channel Pathway, very similar to River Glide Pathway, except it's getting played in both Teamer Ramp and Sultai Control in Standard, up 61% from 0.83 tickets to 1.34. And then Dryad of the Elysian Grove from Theros Beyond Death, up a ticket from two and a quarter to three and a quarter or so on the back of usage in Amulet Titan, EDH, and some Standard Play. Okay. Some, uh, some regular-looking action over in Moto. Moto Land. Moving right along to paper cards to watch this week. Let's dive in with uh, my first selection, Collected Company from Secret Lair. This was part of the Valentine's release uh, just last month. I'm going to call this to go 20 to 40. Coco is looking good and modern right now. Green-white decks don't look like they're going anywhere. Shallow inventory, relatively steep ramp. Uh, I guess it wasn't... Uh, no, it wasn't part of the Valentine's release. It was part of the November uh, 2020 release. Yeah, that's correct. And there are currently 23 results left on TCG Player. A bunch of copies lying around at 20, maybe 20 copies at 20, and then it starts ramping up towards 30, and then gets real steep in a hurry. This is a Coco with a bunch of cats on it. That will not appeal to some people. It will definitely appeal to other people. And the bottom line is the secret layer stuff that is good cards and gets played as four ofs is just going to dry up. Pardon me, I was yawning. Uh, oh, so... So sorry to have bored you with my cats. Yeah, they are. I don't <laughs> don't like that art at all. Um, but frankly, none of the collective company art is really stellar, to be honest. Um, uh, yeah, this card is not for me, but it is the only promo version. There, are, it will definitely hit for some people. And uh, you know, with a low of twenty bucks, the supply is is shallow as well. And like you talked about, the ramp. So. Even though it's not my personal favorite, I do think that as long as people are casting Collected Company and Modern at some point this year, this is poised to keep rising, especially with what we've seen Secret Layer cards do for the most part. Basically, 20 or 30 people need to buy a playset, and this thing pumps hard. Well, I don't even think you need people to, 20 or 30, 20 or 30 people buy a playset, and there's nothing left on TCG Player. Well, I'm talking about, when, when I'm looking at this stuff, I'm not just talking about TCG, because anybody can hollow out TCG, but if the rest of the market doesn't get hollowed out, then the gaps will fill in. Right. So, but yeah, 20 or 30 
place that's across the internet right now in North America will set a new plateau. Yep. I don't disagree with that. Uh, that's a good chunk of cards. Uh, I wanted to talk about Anointed Procession this week, but uh, it seems like everyone beat me to it. That card is very pricey now. Um, maybe was a little more expensive than I thought it was going in, but uh, the cheapest of Anointed Procession right now is like $35. Wow. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It climbs. So rip me. Rip my pick. But uh, I went a different direction, and I managed to stumble upon Ashnod's Altar, which I think is uh, looks good in a couple different versions here. The 5th edition copies are currently about $11. Um, and that seems like an odd one to talk about, but it's not as cheap as the Chronicles copies. The Chronicles copies are like six or seven, and there's a reasonable supply on that. But we've seen all of these revised and um, like fourth edition cards sell for pretty wild prices. Like I sold a like a fourth edition or revised Winter Orb for like $45 or $50. So people pay for this stuff. Fifth edition is obviously not those, but you're all is not rake revised, but you're also paying eleven dollars, not forty-five. And there's only eleven vendors left on TCG with fifth edition copies at about eleven dollars. You'll buy about two to three playsets and they're twenty bucks. So I think those fifth edition, those cheap fifth edition copies are gonna get hollowed out. Um, Chronicles could be on the chopping, you know, on, on in line next, but that's probably a little ways away. But for the moment, fifth edition looks uh not bad and i think i think sixth edition wasn't bad either uh but let me look real quick yeah there's like eight six edition copies period so it's a reprint i would do fifth well and it was in it was in internal masters but that's now several years ago and that brings me to my other pick or my other half of this which is the foil ema copies are 25 bucks right now but there are nine sellers on tcg um, so there's a couple at 25, then a couple at 30, and then they're gone. So uh, with Hoffrey, Hoffrey something or other popping up in, who, who I think is my favorite commander so far from this set, uh, he's definitely going to like Ashna's Altar. Um, he's going to put some extra pressure on it. This is a card that's already in, in pretty tight supply, even though it's got a fair bit of printings. There's really only, I think, only the one foil copy of this. It's in 46,000 EDH rock decks, by the way. Uh, I think there are a couple different ways you can approach Ashnod's Altar and be happy this year. Yeah, seems reasonable to me. Uh, just looking up the... Hmm. All right, moving right along to uh, my next pick. How about Time Spiral Remastered? Old Border Foils. Been a hot topic in the Pro Trader Discord over the last couple weeks. Lots of people going pretty deep. Somebody posted a, an order they made that was several thousand dollars worth. Yeah, I um, that. Picked up overseas. Um, one of the cards that looks like it's underpriced in Europe versus the US right now, at least at current pricing, is Vandal Blast. Vandal Blast is a very popular EDH card that can for a modest cost, destroy all the artifacts at the table that aren't yours, which is usually quite useful. And the old border foil versions are already pushing $80 plus on TCG Player, but you can get them over in Europe around 45 or so. So pretty easy uh, arbitrage play to pick them up at 45 and look to out them somewhere between 70 and 90. 
Uh, yeah, I had to double back and start looking at our old spreadsheet when I saw this, and then I noticed it was the time spiral. So I was like, oh, okay, that definitely wasn't last year. But uh, I'm a big fan of Vandal Blast. We've talked about Vandal, other printings of Vandal Blast in the past. This is the coolest one. It's going to appeal to EDH players, so they'll pay the ridiculous premium on it. Um, and I mean, if you're talking about a $40 arbitrage play right off the top, I'm I'm on board. Uh, but this card is is good. It's popular. People play it. People are going to want a good copy of it. So I support I support this podcast. The green blue commander we've been trying to dig out, by the way, is Adrix and Nev Twin Casters. Two green blue, two two. Legendary creature, Merfolk Wizard, Ward 2, and then if one or more tokens would be created under your control, twice that many of those tokens are created instead. It's just so boring, right? Like, how many times do we have to see this effect? Yeah, but people will play it. (laughs) Yeah, they will. And it will... I've been selling tons of doubling season this week. Judge promo Mm -hmm. doubling season, regular Ravnica doubling season... Borderless uh, Double Masters and Foil Borderless Double Masters Doubling Season, all of which are showing very strong gains from our singles group buys in uh, August and September of 2020, where we were getting them at roughly half the price I'm selling them at now. Mm. Well, okay. Uh, boring, but I don't dis- don't doubt that people will pay for copies of it. All right, so what's your final selection? Uh, my other card this week is God Eternal Kefnet out of War of the Spark. The, I'm looking at the foils are about $11 right now. <clears throat> uh, one of the other commanders that really caught my attention was Rutha Mercurial Artist. It's an uncommon, but it's a three mount of one four. Uh, you can pay and return her to your hand to copy a instant or sorcery you control. Uh, so anyone who's played enough EDH looked at that card and went, oh, so I can use her to copy my time walks and she's a commander and I don't have to pay commander tax to play her out of my hand. So if I have a time walk, I can like, you get two time, you get two turns in a row just for playing this with her out. And if you have any way to recur the time walk, you've now hit an infinite loop. Um, she's going to be useful. She, I think she'll be reasonably popular as a commander, uh, but will also fit in lots of different decks. Uh, and if you're playing with this card, you're probably playing God Eternal Kefnet, who uh, who is in 5,500 decks himself. Uh, when you you reveal the first card, you draw each turn. You essentially miracle every card. And uh, if you if it's an instant or sorcery, you can just pay two and cast it cast a copy of the card so it will trigger all of your magecraft stuff it will work with uh with what's her name here rutha or whatever i said her name was yeah Yeah, rutha Rutha. um and i mean he's just a generally useful card overall because if you're playing rutha or any deck that's play any deck that's playing rutha whether it's a commander or not they're going to be playing lots of instant or sorceries which means god eternal covenant's going to be good for you blah 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 so I think there's there's some legs on this guy. You can snag the uh, the pack foils are about ten to eleven dollars right now. There's fifteen vendors on TCG. Um, really, you know, a plate barely more than a playset in the in the lowest fifteen bucks. Then there's also the pre-release versions, which are also about ten to eleven dollars. Only ten vendors of those. Um, 
again, about two play sets and you're up towards $20. So the supply is on the low side. The demand is, is, is fine, not stellar, but I think he might get a boost with the new Magecraft effect and, and Rutha in particular. And there's no, there's, there is a promo version of this from San Diego Comic-Con. It's the all black version or like it's the black with like that kind of like, I don't know what the term is like, negative space artwork type of thing it's kind of nifty but it's also like 50 bucks right now so uh you know if you're buying the foils at 10 you're you've got a long ways to go before you worry about competing with that just looking up those sccc copies very few of those lying around yeah those might be a good buy too honestly i didn't look too deep on them um you know, if if the not if the normal prices on Cuffnet start catching up towards that fifty, then that promo starts to look tastier. For a mythic from War of the Spark, Cuffnet is not worth all that much yet, given that it's been out for a few years. But it's going to sh- see a slow, steady climb. I, I could imagine that the Strixhaven hype could you know move maybe a third to half of the existing inventory on TCG player, and then it'll start walking up the steps piece by piece yeah i don't think anybody's gonna be like rushing to the exits on kefnit but it's a good card four or five flyer for four at the baseline if even if you had no other shenanigans going on yeah and you it never goes away because you put it back on your in your library which is kind of nifty i um it depends on how much rutha takes off i think she's pretty could be a pretty interesting commander for some people uh based on the fact that she lets you set up some stupid shit if you want to but either way, I think uh, he's probably got a good... But my my only concern here is they print a cooler version of this somewhere before this fully matures. Okay, I think that's totally fine. I've got a bunch of these lying around in Japanese, so I would love an excuse to sell them. <laughs> All right, you got one left for us. Uh, another Time Spiral Remastered card, but this time we're looking at a non-foil, also best priced in Europe, but you can still find copies in the 3 to $4 range in the US. In Europe, you're going to get them closer to $2.50. Mystic Sanctuary Old Border Non-Foil. It'll take some time for these to drain out too, and it caught a ban recently in what, Pioneer? Um, good question. I think that sounds correct. Mystic Sanctuary being banned. Banned in Modern and Popper. Okay. So banned in Modern. The thing is that EDH has massive demand for this card. And all of the spell-based decks that people are going to be building, this is an auto-include in there. You can pick them at 250. It looks fantastic in the old border. Like, the art looks way better in the old border than it does in the new border. Uh it was only an uncommon in Eldraine, but the foils got there in a hurry anyway. The foil version of this is also probably worth a look, but I could see these going $2 and $2.50 to $10 buy list within a year pretty easily. Yeah, it's funny that you say this is it looks better in the old art because it looks like artwork from an old set is really what it is. It's just it's a much more like serene, placid, this is just a place artwork. You know, a lot of the newer artwork tends to be much more uh, making more of a point about a statement, more, more, more game, less art. But uh, in any case, this is actually uh, might be my favorite pick. It's 
I wish you could get these in America at that price because I think buying these at 250 and getting to sell them, sell them at 10 to 15 is probably going to be excellent. And I would not be surprised if in December of this year we are talking about this as being one of your best, highest returns of the year. One of the warning, there is a warning sign in the sense that Card Kingdom is currently not taking these on buy list, but that that could easily just reflect the fact that they've just cracked a whole bunch of product themselves and have plenty of them lying around. Yeah. I mean, that's fine. Every time somebody goes to buy Mystic Sanctuary, they'll see this. They might go, oh, well, you know, it's only th- you know, three or four or five bucks. You know, I'll buy, if I'm going to buy one, I might as well just buy a play set while I'm here. And uh, then they'll have them and, you know, keep draining the inventory. Well, I mean, I say that they, they must have a bunch lying around, but they're actually sold out at five ninety nine. So unclear why it's not on the buy list. That buyer just might not be caught up on it. They're, they they're selling the foil podcast. at 130. So <laughs> they're they're bullish on it at least so far. Alrighty, so anything else in the Strixhaven reveals this week that caught your eye? Well, I mentioned Hoffrey Ghost Forge. I think he's my top. I think he's the most interesting commander so far. Um, he's the one that whenever a non-token creature you control dies, you exile it and then get a copy of it that's a spirit, um, which will also get 1-1 Trample and Haste. And then when that token dies, you get the creature back to your graveyard. So you have a creature card in play, it dies, you're going to get a spirit version of it, and then when the spirit token dies, you get the original card back in your graveyard. But that gives you the ability to do some shenanigans with um, both tokens because you can have, I don't know, whatever, some silly creature that you sacrifice or dies and now you get two spirit tokens of it if you have stuff like Anointed Procession or what have you. Um, you know, so you get all sorts of... That's why Anointed Procession was going to be good, by the way, because Hoffrey is really going to like that. And then you still get the card back to your graveyard at the end of the day anyway, so you know if you have any sort of recursion, then you can start it all over again. And giving spirits 1-1 one, one, and Trample and Haste is pretty legit as well. Let's you get away, some, uh, away with some goofy stuff there. So he's my takeaway so far is like the most interesting commander. All right, so here's a card I like. Uh, Extus Auric Overlord. One white, black, black. Two, four, human warlock, double strike. Magecraft. Whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery spell, return target non-legendary creature card from your graveyard to your hand. Worth flagging that this is probably counts as Mardu colors overall since he has the flip casting cost six black red as a sorcery. As an additional cost to cast the spell, you may sacrifice any number of creatures. The spell costs two less for each creature you sacrifice this way. Each opponent sacrifices a creature, create a three six black and red avatar token with haste, and whenever this creature attacks, it deals three damage to each opponent. So Extus is real nasty even with simple things like village rights because as part Village Rights is a instant for one black, sack a creature, draw two cards. As part of the resolution of that uh, of the casting cost of that spell, you sack the creature. So the creature's in the yard when the Magecraft tr- trigger goes on the stack, which lets you get that creature back immediately. And there are all sorts of ways that you could be recycling value creatures uh, in the Extus colors that want to be coming in and out of play. Maybe they're destroying enchantments or artifacts or other creatures or planeswalkers or whatever. And you're just going to keep finding ways to get them into the yard for value and then recast them for value and just keep going and going and going. He's uh, he's okay. I I don't think he's a, I don't think he's a bad, a 
bad card. Uh, he's not my favorite for a commander. He, he, you know, he lets you get away with some recursion effects there. Um, you know, the stuff like the village rights is is cute. Um, that for sure, I don't doubt that. I don't. I just. I guess about 100% sold on him. I think if you're going to play him as a commander, you're probably interested in playing both halves of the card, the other half being the Blood Avatar, which I does should give you Mardu colors, I believe. Um, but you know, you're probably playing that pretty easily since you can sack two or three creatures. And it also lets you, late in the game, play Awaken the Blood Avatar very cheap through a high commander tax simply because you can just keep sacking creatures to pay the cost. Um but making everyone sack a creature and then get a creature that when it attacks it lightning bolts everyone, you know, real late in the game if life totals are getting low, that's not the worst. So he's not bad. He's not bad. What do you think about uh, Wandering Archaic? This is the five mana avatar colorless for a four four. Whenever an opponent casts an instant or sorcery spell, they may pay two. If they don't, you may copy that spell. You may choose new targets for the copy. Uh, whenever an opponent casts an instant or sorcery, they pay two, or you copy it. Whew. I miss this card. So, the, so the, the interesting thing here is we're starting to get a critical mass of cards that tax your opponents. You've got Ristic Seti, you've got Smothering Tithe, you've got Wandering Archaic, and you can build a few more that are not quite as good as those three. And your taxes build starts to get real annoying. That is, uh, that's pretty nasty because most people are not going to pay that too. A five on a four four is going to survive. You know, it's like it's not it's not too vulnerable for the most part. And getting the copy instance to sorceries is a big deal. I mean, for the most part, people are, it's not like people are going to let you copy uh, time stretches, but it means you're going to slow down people casting the really broken spells more accurately, and you will get free cultivates and stuff like that along the way. So that's quite potent. And I could see that being uh, very useful in white decks, maybe some red decks that would love to have access to some, you know, rampant growth type effects. Or just kill spells or whatever, like draw spells that people are casting, whatever. The mm -hmm. the thing that's got my eye here is this is a rare. So the regular rares are going to be dirt cheap probably. Doesn't look like a standard card by any means. So foil extended arts probably be real cheap given everything else that's going on in this set. And then, you know, 18 months out or something, they'll start to climb uh, if we're right about this finding a pretty broad home in EDH. The fact that it's colorless means it can go all over the place. Yep. And the effect is good in most commander decks that are of moderate power. Like this is not a CDH card by any means. But five colorless isn't much in this format where you're you typically have some ramp between turns two and four and you're going to be casting this on turn three four five or six card looks good to me and the arts court like really cool um the design for the archaics is pretty sweet it is nifty art i i do like the idea of being able to get this into play on turn three or four before people are really eager to pay those taxes you know when mana's still tight and getting a couple of pulls off of it the other side the explore the vast lands you're probably not going to use as often the wandering Ar wandering archaic seems more useful but uh, i i'm interested in that no question about but that. it does add utility because if you get stalled mm -hmm. on mana 
that is often a death knell in EDH. If you if everybody else is ramping hard and you're stuck on two or three lands with no mana rocks or something, Explore the Vast Lands, if you can get to three mana, lets you, everybody, look at the top five cards of the library, reveal a land card and or an instant or sorcery card from among them, then put the cards they revealed into their hand, the rest on the bottom, each player gains three life. So it's basically a catch-up card that, you know, gives the rest of the table boons in a group hug-style fashion, but might get you out of a tough spot if you were behind, and gives everybody some life to lengthen the game a little bit. Yeah, I mean the fact that you're essentially just playing it for the for the creature side of the card, and then you occasionally just get that spell yeah, for free. When yeah, but weird you get fail it case. Great. Yeah, yeah, it's like that card would be totally fine without that half of it. So then you just get that as a bonus. Like I wish all like average cards had a, <laughs> had a bonus half to them just in case. Um, the 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 elder dragons are all are kind of a mixed bag. I thought again the Lorehold commander flying vigilance haste five five. Uh, and when you attack, you flip the top seven in your library, and you get to cast an instant or sorcery for free, basically, uh, depending on, on his power. Um, but, you know, you, you put him in the play at seven mana, immediately attack with him, uh, and get to cast a reasonable instant or sorcery for free. And then ideally, you're going to be doing that every turn, maybe twice a turn if you have some extra combat stops. So he's not a bad uh a bad general but i think a little less fascinating than a little less in- intriguing than some of the other red white commanders what do you think about these new elder dragons we've got tanazir quandrix head of the quandrix school three green blue four four flying trample when it enters the battlefield double the number of plus one plus one counters on a target creature you control and whenever uh tanzir attacks you may have the base power and toughness of all other creatures you control become equal to uh, Tanazir's base power and toughness. So basically you take take a bunch of tokens, turn them into 4-4 four, four, plus whatever counters they have on top of them, and roll. So you're playing it in like an attracts a counter, creature counters deck or something like that. Um, variety of commanders that can uh, they can be built in that fashion. It's been a popular theme over the years for commander. The one thing I would say about this is that there's a lot of cards that go in that deck because plus one plus one counters is one of the okay. most most persistent themes. I actually think Tanazir's a, a flop. I don't think he's going to go anywhere. He's you know you double the one one counters on one creature. He's five mana, so you know he's not cheap. You a lot of times you're playing those counter decks. It's like you've just got a lot of creatures with some counters on them. It's it's less likely that you have one guy with like seven counters on him that you need to double and his attack trigger isn't really that impressive either it's not to say you can't engineer engineer scenarios where these are useful but uh, this card just does not seem it's not there for me seems it seems medium good to me and i feel more likely to put him in attracts a creature counters in the 99 as opposed to running him as the commander yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think he'll do more work in the 99 than he will in the commander slot. The Is It Dragon, the Galazad Prismari, um, he's okay. He's four mana, three, four. You get a treasure token when he enters a battlefield, and it gives all of your artifacts Mox Opal, but only for instance and sorceries. You know, how many artifacts are you playing that don't already tap for mana? Some of your artifact creatures... But you're probably already, I don't know how eager you are to tap those for mana in the first place. Um, 
because they're creatures that are doing other things. You have non-creature art, non-creature, non-monorock artifacts like Besmeric Orb and stuff like that. But a lot of those have activated abilities as it is. So do you want to use them as mana instead? And eh, I don't know. Now, he, the fact that he turns your treasure tokens into uh, essentially Mox Opals instead of having to sacrifice them is clearly his advantage or what his, his use case, which is obvious because he gives you a treasure token to tell you that. But you have to be in a treasure token deck to want this. So again, there will be decks that will use him, but I don't see him doing a lot of work across the format. They did give us a new silence variant. Uh, a red white card has two kind of di seems like diametrically opposed uh, options. On the red side, you have flame scroll celebrant, one red for a two one. Whenever an opponent activates an ability that isn't a mana ability, celebrant deals one damage to that player. And then for one and a red, celebrant gets plus two plus zero to end a turn. So that looks like very much like a standard red aggro card. And then the flip side of it is. Uh, an instant for two white, your opponents can't cast spells or activate Planeswalker loyalty abilities this turn. Exile, revel in silence. Um, I'd love to put that on an Isochron Scepter in a deck with four silence, four revel in silence. Presuming that revel in silence can be dropped onto the scepter like that. <laughs> yeah, a lot of questions about these rules. Uh, in EDH, this is bad. In, I mean, this might... Like, it seems weird that this would be playable in Pioneer... I could see it getting there on the back of the fact that they do some different stuff. So like you can play a flame scroll celebrant and on the front half of that, that means you get to tax some of the combo decks or people that are trying to play unfair magic perhaps. So like you get kind of some sideboard ish type action on that half of the card. And then in other, you know, perhaps against other opponents where you don't want the flame scroll celebrant half of the card like you'll revel in silence instead but silence is generally not a great effect in competitive magic well i just looked it up my dream is shattered anyway because apparently because the front side is a creature you can't imprint it on isochron scepter mm, sorry for your loss boo i mean you could still be running a scepter deck and then this is part of your they never get to play plan but that's never really proven to get anywhere so yeah. moving right along people have been trying that for a long time never yep. got there yeah the the other lore horde lore horde loros card that i like here is blade historian which is the quad hybrid card uh a two three that gives attacking creatures you control have double strike yeah that does just work. that you're just i mean that is a real simple piece of attack that is going to hit real hard and i thought that was an uncommon at first but I realize it's a rare, which is a little better. So you might be able to get extended art foils of that in the couple dollar range. Mm -hmm. And that seems like something that'll be tasty to pick up because I have a feeling that will do real work over time. The Lorehold Dragon isn't any more exciting to me. Velo Marcus Lorehold, five red, white, flying vigilance, haste, five, five. When it attacks, look at the top seven cards of your library, cast an instant or sorcery spell with mana val value less than or equal to power of the dragon, put the rest on the bottom of the library, blah, blah, blah. It does not look like they were trying to bring more Uros into play here with these dragons. Uh, yeah, this is what I was talking about earlier. Uh, I, I think this commander is the more interesting of the three, um, but I don't think that he's still phenomenal he's fine 
That said, yeah. there are a lot of cards in here that are such ridiculous limited bombs that this limited format looks very swingy indeed. Uh, sure. I will take your word for it. I, I, I'm, I know better than to try and have opinions about uh, limited formats. I mean, I, I'm on to the semifinals of our Caltime tournament, by the way. Oh, congratulations. Got a, um, there's still a, there's still a uh, uh, Cosmo World Serpent in the way if, if that, the, the player that's rocking that wins their match. Well, you can just revoke their membership and then you're in the clear. Yeah, they're not allowed uh, to play anymore. Oops. I did look it up. There's an enchantment, Berserker's Onslaught, that gives attacking creatures you control have double strike from mm-hmm. Dragon's, Dragon's Attack here. Sure. It's only in 4,000 decks. So I, I guess I thought that was more, and it's only red as opposed to this creature, which is Boros, which means that you have to be Boros to play him. Uh, so, I mean, I, I think the card is cool, but maybe he won't do as much as I was expecting him to. It reminds me a little of Nobilis of War from Eventide. That's the 3-4 flying uh, th- uh, spirit avatar for 5 hybrid Boros um, that gives attacking creatures you control plus 2 plus 0. Yeah. Interesting how uh, how far those have come. Yeah. Since I would say that Blade Historian is significantly better than Nobilis War. <laughs> Uh, you know what's pretty nasty, though? Quintorius Field Historian. Three red, white, two, four. Spirits you control get plus one, plus zero. And whenever one or more cards leave your graveyard, create a three, two red and white creature spirit creature token. Yeah, I, he, he's a legendary creature at Uncommon. I don't expect him to be a popular commander at all, but I will tell you that I don't see anyone playing uh, Hoffrey without playing Quintorius here, because that's exactly what your deck's going to be doing the whole time. Well, and under under an anointed procession, you're getting two, three, two red spear tokens every time you remove a single card from your graveyard? Uh, Yeah, if you had Hoffrey and Quintorius in play, and a creature you control dies, you will get two copies of that creature as spirits and two... 3 2 spirit tokens, all of which on top of that get 1 1 and haste and trample. So they do a lot of work together, that's for sure. The uh, returned past color is a nice one in Boros decks. 3 red hybrid white. That's one of the most awkward casting costs I've ever seen. Uh, yeah, that whole cycle is a weird casting cost, and I don't like it. They, they, clearly, they, they clearly went out of their way to do that like as a fresh thing. <laughs> Yes. And it, it parses very awkwardly. Um, yes. When return pass color enters the battlefield, return target spirit, instant, or sorcery card from your graveyard to your hand. Getting back instants and sorceries pretty handy. Yeah, Archaeomancer and those effects have been popular for a long time. So again, restricted to being Boros color decks, but uh, we'll probably do some work there is those exist. There's also a uh, fresh white... Uh, flicker effect here. Semester's end, three and a white. Exile any number of target creatures and or planeswalkers you control at the beginning of the next end step. Return each of them to the battlefield under their owner's control. Each of them enters the battlefield with an additional plus one, plus one counter if it's a creature and an additional loyalty counter on it if it's a planeswalker. So that becomes uh, Teferi's Protection Part 2 for my Atraxa deck. Is that Incinor Sorcery? Instant. 
Yeah, so that's pretty solid then. You know, it's not quite as good as Teferi's Protection because Teferi's is until your turn, I believe, right? So this only dodges one turn as opposed to the entire turn or the entire rotation. Uh, so not quite as powerful, but the, you get a little bit of a bonus on top of it uh, in the form of the counters. And also Teferi's Protection is a $40 guard. So this seems like a passable... <laughs> Passable alternative. Passable alternative, since how you know you generally are looking to dodge like one wrath in a turn cycle, not like three. Uh, Stormkiln artist, the uncommon down here. It's a four mana two two. Um, he gets powered up for artifacts you control, but who cares? The important part here is that uh, whenever you cast an instant or sorcery, you create a treasure token. So put a four mana two two in the play, and now every spell you cast, you get a treasure token out of it. That can lead to all sorts of shenanigans. Um, he, he, I could see him doing some fun stuff in sure. EDH. No, and he's only red, uh, which makes it a little easier to slot him in. You know, across the board, they printed all these deans, like the deans of the schools, mm-hmm. and I hate them. I hate that they sat down and said, you know what? Let's not care at all about how many words are on these cards. Holy shit. They are illegible. There's so much text on them. It's uh, it's just, it's so much to try and parse. And it's it's not, it feels like it's not good complexity. Like good complexity is like fairly simple cards that clearly have some depth to the mechanic. Or they have play pattern complexity that's not immediately, the card itself is not hard to parse, but it leads to interesting situations. Yes, these don't. These are not that. These are just a dump of text on the card. And I mean, it's, I'm not even going to tell you that the 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 text on these cards doesn't lead to those types of things. I don't know. I won't read them. I refuse. And I felt glad because I saw these stupid cards, and I'm like, what is this crap? Like, I can't. Um, no, I, I'm I'm not reading this crap. This isn't good. I don't care. It, and I'll, I'll put it to you this I got way. annoyed about it. Wait, wait, I got annoyed about it. And then Sam Black tweeted. I started reading one and just stopped. And I'm like, thank you, Sam Black. If these are any of these are good specs, I don't know about it because, <laughs> likewise, I have been turned off from reading them. Give you, let me give you an example. Uvilda, Dean of Perfection. It's the same damn one I was looking at. Two and a white. Sorry, two and a blue. <laughs> Jin Wizard, two two. Tap. You may exile an instant or sorcery card from your hand and put three hone. That's H O N E counters on it. Hone counters. Have fun explaining that to your new friend that just started playing Magic. At the beginning of your upkeep, if this card is exiled, remove a hone counter from it. And when the last hone counter is removed from this card, if it's exiled, you may cast it. It costs four less to cast this way. (laughs) Whatever. Like, (laughs) let me know when you've decided how your turn's going and just advise us of the result, please. So you you have to parse... So you have, I guess it's a three mana two two. Okay, it's legendary. It's a Jin Wither Wizard. Do either of those matter? Do I have to care about those? Like, are are those relevant texts on this card? I don't know. I can't even think about them because I have to read this novel on one side of the card. And the problem is that the damn thing flips over to another card with more text. This one's an Efreet Shaman. Do I care about any of those? I'm not sure. Okay, this has a different mana cost, different power and toughness in different colors. At the beginning of your upkeep, exile the top card of each opponent's library. Until end of turn, you may cast those spells from among the exiled cards and you may spend mana as though any mana, any color, cast those spells. And when you cast a spell from exile, put one on counter on them. Oh my god. I like that side. That side is relatively easy to parse. 
Because that, that heuristic of your opponent's stuff goes over there and you can cast it and you don't have to worry about which manner you're using has been relatively well entrenched over the last few years in a number of different cards. Um, you know, Ashiok, etc. So this is this is a good card, actually. Is it? Who knows? I mean, it's like it's not like again, not CEDH. Like if you're trying to win on turn three, this ain't, this ain't you. But if you're just trying to like play a mid rangey game of commander with a bunch of rando con- combos in there with a group of friends over beers, yeah, this is a fun card. Now uh, you're gonna you're gonna know it's getting played because your friend is gonna take it out of sleeve, flip it over a few times, <laughs> take a few more swigs of their beer, look at it a little harder, and then just kind of like slap one, yeah, shrug their shoulders and slap one side of it down. <laughs> They're they're gonna look at the board state that has like has seventeen permanents with text relevant rules text on it, and go I don't know, and flip a coin and pick one side of the damn card because like trying to figure out which one of these to put in the play when there's so much else going on and just I I don't know I I don't like this direction and I know you know I mentioned this on Twitter and you said well. You know, now that they've stopped trying to onboard new players, they're free to turn the the dial up on the complexity in these these sets because they're not worried about scaring off new players. But there's a lot of costs associated to putting stuff like this in Magic that are that go beyond just turning off new players. I mean, there are very few people listening to this cast that have spent as long, spent as many hours of their life thinking and playing Magic as I have over the years, uh, and I still don't want to be bothered to read this crap. Bottom line, Strixhaven looks like a pretty medium set, and Mystical Archives are the biggest story here. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, to be fair, as of right now, we've got all of Lorehold, and I think a good chunk of... What is the Is It One called again? I don't remember what the Is It One is. We've got Boros and Is It spoiled so far, so we've got the other three to go there might be some some more gems in here um, but i i agree that the the what we're going to be talking about in regards to the set a year from now will be the mystical archives across both english and japanese also i do find it amusing that we have now had two special art projects across magic products and it was japanese both times well for very specific reasons. Japan is the second biggest uh, market for Magic, and it's a market where they're not even close to being the number one game. So there's plenty of reason for them to be trying to gain market share there. Yeah, I mean, it's not, yeah, it's not to say that there isn't reasons for it, but it is kind of funny that Japan keeps getting its own custom artwork and the rest of the countries can go to hell. I guess you could make the point that if you look at all of the languages magic is printed in Japan stands out uh, as having as artwork and art styles being a stronger part of modern day culture than elsewhere. Like, you know, no one's watching Spanish or French or German or Italian or Portuguese cartoons in the same way they're watching Japanese cartoons. The massive advancement of exporting Japanese culture to the current generation of 20 to 30 somethings says is is the reason that you can get japanese set boxes and the reason that you could get war of the spark booster boxes in mm-hmm. in north america and it makes sense for them to do this i mean they did it with godzilla the godzilla cards in ikoria too right so we can expect this roughly once yeah. a year uh at as a at present pace and from an mtg finance perspective 
my lord, bring it on. Like, the stuff that's only, that's region locked, <laughs> that's this good, please do it, do it as often as you like. It's, it is fascinating. You know, it would be kind of cool to see, you know, okay, this time we're going to do, like, a bunch of stuff that's South American, you know, maybe not uh, just one country. I mean, but, that, was, that was ostensibly Ixalan. That's about as far as they're going to go with it. Well, but I don't. I, I don't mean like the set theme is South American. I mean like okay, this time we got Japanese language with Japanese art, music archives. Maybe in the future we get the the showcase product has an alternate art style that borrows from lots of Southern American cultures, um, and it's printed in you know some of them are Spanish, some of them are Portuguese, and then maybe there's a Western European one that uses like all Renaissance style or whatever, uh, you know, and, and maybe it doesn't have to be specific, you know, not just Spain or not just Germany because the markets are a little too small for it, but sort of a Western European type of thing. I don't know, it would be kind of nifty. Uh, just a thought. Not like it really matters one way or the other. All right. We can probably wrap up for this week. Uh, we are trying to line up a special guest for next week, so stay tuned for that. Uh, where can people find you online, Travis? I am on Twitter at WizardBumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N, full of fire and brimstone as usual. You guys can find me on Twitter at MGG Critic, as well as via my occasional articles on MGGPrice.com and my constant haunting and assistance in the ProTrader Discord. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the mggprice.com ProTrader service for just $9.99 a month or $99.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MGG finance minds in the business, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Once again, MTG Fast Finance is probably sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool stuff in stock, including the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. I know I am going to be seeing what they have in their inventory for Mystical Archives and uh, putting our promo code to use here. Um which wraps up episode 265 here. Join us next week for more Strixhaven spoilers, maybe a guest, all sorts of cool stuff. It was a good time, James, and I will see you next week. Thank you, Travis. We'll see you all next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance.